0: the Pharisees are very upset. Very upset. Because now, not only do they want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus, and just before he comes to the city, they're plotting to kill him. And right before this passage is that plot. So we look here then, John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when He had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. Therefore the people who were with Him when He called Lazarus out of His tomb and raised Him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met Him because they heard that He had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see, you're accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks, be God. Amen. As we begin to look at Jesus looking over Jerusalem, there is. A few things I want to point out to you. First of all, as I mentioned before I read the text, they plotted, the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death and Jesus. Do you understand they were planning on a double murder? <coughs> Again, don't miss this. I know it's our history and we were familiar with the story, but it was the church leaders planning to commit Murder. Do you see anything morally wrong with that picture? (laughs) Should the people who are supposed to be leading people in godly ways be planning murder? Here's the way to God. Oh, excuse me, I'm going to go destroy this life. Take this man's life in cold blood. It wasn't an unmeditated thing. It was planned. This means... The evil and wickedness was in their heart. They plotted. It. They planned. They schemed. They did everything they could to destroy two men's lives. Why? Because they were losing followers of their belief. You might think, well, um, that's pretty radical. It happens today. You see ISIS taking followers of Christianity because they don't believe what they believe. And we don't like it. And we see that ISIS is a very ruthless group of people. Someone was telling me this week about a list of people in our country whose addresses ISIS has. They're intending to take them out one way or another. That would make me nervous. I don't think my name's on the list, but it would still make me nervous because that's our soil. But listen to this. It is the same idea that was plotted against Jesus and Lazarus, and they worshiped the same God exactly. They were Jews. The people who planned to do this were Jews. It was their own people. Do you see a problem here? It was family, it was blood. Not somebody who looked different, talked different, or acted different. It was blood lineage. I don't know about you, but it would make me upset in a great way if someone plotted to take a member of my family's life. But it would grieve me even more if it was my own family that plotted and planned against them this is what was happening. Do you think there was a firestorm coming in Jerusalem? So no wonder Jesus had five days left. But it says the next day, this is Saturday when they're plotting this, the next day on that Palm Sunday, (coughs) Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. In verse 12 it says, they heard Jesus was coming. This is when they went and grabbed the palm branches. Now that's the first thing I want to point out. They heard Jesus was coming. Do you think our society today is any different? We as believers have heard that Jesus is coming again. It is a similar situation as our day, our time, our people. So we heard and have heard many times Jesus will return. He will come again. It is the same setting playing out here now. This is relevant for us. The second thing in the relevance, not only have we heard about Jesus, but when we heard in verse 16, even his disciples did not understand at first. They did not understand. They even were part of the palm branch thing, but you know, they weren't well versed in scripture to know that it said, What it said in verse 15, your king's coming sitting on a donkey's colt. They didn't know that passage. And I promise there's a lot of people here today who probably can't quote any passage before or after that, and I'm the first who will admit that. Do you think that we go around memorizing Zechariah chapter 9? Do you? I usually pick a gospel or an epistle to memorize. Maybe a psalm. Maybe an Isaiah passage or Jeremiah 29.11. All those popular ones, you know. But Zechariah, you know, that's, that's down on the list. So if we were alive at that time, we would not have known that verse by recall. We would not have known what was happening. We do now because we've heard this story over and over and over. But we do not understand when we first see it happen without knowledge of what's going on. We don't know the signs of the time and the Scriptures real well, then we're stuck in what we see and hear, but not what we know about what God's Word says. As it says, how will they know if nobody tells them? How will they come to faith unless they hear the Word? That's why I love the Gideon's work so much, because it is getting the Word of God unpretentious, without any other reason than to get it in their hands so they can find God for themselves. So they can know. Not someone telling them, they can read it for themselves. I don't know about you, but I have a Gideon Bible. As a matter of fact, I probably have several. I know of three off the top of my head, including a little testament, a little black, thin line one plus other Bibles. I have more Bibles than a person can read in a week, back to back. And do you know I still haven't memorized Zephaniah chapter 9? Did I say Zephaniah? I mean Zechariah. Oh, I haven't memorized Zephaniah either. <laughs> but i got to tell you, it's us who are without excuse to say, I don't have one. We have access. Even this church has Bibles readily available for those who need one to give. Why? Because no one should be without one. And if you want one, you need one. And if you don't want one, why not? Maybe because you don't know yet. It contains words of hope, life, and resurrection. So, at first, you don't understand these things. When you get God's Word in you, stuff starts to make sense. So we have to come to the realization that we don't know what we don't know. Almost sounds common sense, doesn't it? But the hardest thing to realize is that there are some things we don't know, but we need to know. What did we used to say when I was younger? My parents said this. Other people said this. Maybe y'all can finish this old quote. What you don't know won't hurt you. Won't hurt you. If you don't know Jesus, it'll hurt you. If you don't know God's word, it will hurt you. But you don't know that at first because you don't understand because you haven't been awakened and enlightened to the light of Christ shining. So that's the second thing that brings relevance. The first one was that Jesus is coming. The second one is that we don't understand what it's all about at first. The third thing is in verse 17. And it says, The people who were with Him when He raised Lazarus out of His death bore witness. So here's the phrase. The people who were with Him bore witness. The people who know Jesus bear witness. As a matter of fact, I like the way this verse reads it. It doesn't just say He called and raised Lazarus from the dead. It says He called Lazarus out of His tomb. That was actually in John chapter 11. And raised Him from the dead. He called Him out and raised Him from the dead. Not He raised Him from the dead and called Him out, but He called Him out and then raised Him got to think about that. This almost sounds backward order. But what you understand is when you see what Jesus has done and is doing in your life, you can bear witness because you've been with Him and He's with you. Until then, your witness doesn't work. To be relevant for Christ, you have to have a witness of what He's doing for you. The fourth thing, next verse. For this reason, the people came out who didn't know who Jesus was Because they heard. They had heard. They came because they heard. To be relevant, people have to hear it. And we have to tell it. If we have a witness, we need to share it. Nobody's going to come to a fire or a well-lit place if they don't even know it exists. And how good would it be if we did a food pantry or Easter egg hunt and nobody knew about it? The only people that would come would be the people setting it up and wondering where everybody is. There has to be words shared. People have to hear about it. We have to tell them. To be relevant for Christ then is we have to speak. And a part of that is we have to meet Him. Because you can't know Jesus until you meet him. Isn't it kind of strange? We I, I don't even I'm not even gonna use this person. I use somebody else. I was gonna use our president. I don't even want to talk about the president right now. <coughs> Mitch McConnell is a congressman from Kentucky. I've seen Mitch, I think I may have shook his hand shaken. shaken, shaken, shook his hand once or twice in my life. Does that mean I know Mitch McConnell? Does that mean Mitch McConnell would know me if he saw me? Does that mean Mitch McConnell would answer my phone and come to church here if I invited him because he was my friend, just because I shook his hand? No. No. I may have met him, but I don't know him. Uh, Anybody here in that category? Does someone here know him better than I do? Anybody? I'm trying to get him here. Anybody? (laughs) Maybe he'll bring some folks. That'd be relevant, maybe. Um, So, we have to meet Him, Christ. But we don't just meet Him by thinking, well, someone told me about Him, or I read about Him in a book. The way you meet Him is by welcoming into your life and surrendering your life over to Him. That's how you meet Him. And then He comes, it says, and dwells with you and dines with you. You ever read that passage in... Revelations chapter 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door to me, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. You ever ever think about, what's this thing about supper? Lunch or breakfast, whatever it is. Why is he talking about food? Wouldn't it be better for him to say, uh, well, if you open the door to him, I'll come in and I'll live with you. I'll stay with you. We'll be family. We'll be friends. Why does he say we will dine? We don't know in this culture why, but let me share with you the culture who heard that originally. They understood what he meant. You see, in that culture, anybody who ever dined at your table when you were the owner of the house, you were responsible for that person from then on because you fed them you were hospitable to them, and if they needed anything, you were entitled by cultural norm and social expectations to help them. I'll give you a case in point. A man who uh, told me about this said that his son said, Dad, he was in high school, Dad, I'd like to invite my friend over to dinner. This is not a small request. For us, yeah, have dinner, you know, go home, that's it. For, for the dad, it meant that he'd be responsible for that boy, whatever happened to him. He was asking his dad to love this man, this boy, from another family. <coughs> and why is that such an imposition? It means that his family wasn't going to feed him that day, and he was taking on ownership of caring for him even for a meal it meant for the rest of his life. That's different, isn't it? Well, his dad said yes. The man's name was Lloyd Satan. The father was. And the son and his friend came to dinner. The next day, they skipped school. Not supposed to do that. But they skipped school in a bad way. They ended up in trouble and in jail. His dad gets a phone call. Yes, son. Well, you know, the boy and I who were together yesterday, we kind of got in a little bit of trouble. Wonder if you could come bail me out. He said, where are you at? He told him. His dad went down and bailed them both out. His son said, Dad, why did you do that? His dad could come and do that. His dad can come and bail him out. Why did you do that? And here's what he said. He ate at my table. I fed him. I took ownership and responsibility that any situation I would raise him as my own, even if his father was able. He ate with me. Hear what Jesus says in that context. If you open the door, He will eat with you and you will eat as a guest at His. He becomes responsible for you. That is meeting Jesus. You are responsible for the relationship when He dines with you and you are His responsibility when you dine with Him. It's a two-way partnership. And Jesus says, if you do that, we have met. And when we've met like that, you can talk about me. Until then, it's hearsay. It's what you read. It's not an experience of the love and graciousness of Christ Pulling you out of a situation you can't get out of like Lloyd did for his son's friend. Pulled him out of that situation because he was responsible. Pulled him out of jail. That's what Jesus does for us at Calvary. That is relevant. And the last thing we see in relevance is that a lot of people plot against what we believe. Pharisees, when they looked in verse 19 among themselves, you said, you see, you're accomplishing nothing. They're talking amongst themselves. You're accomplishing nothing by trying to destroy Lazarus. Hear that carefully. You can't destroy Lazarus and hurt Jesus. He'll just raise him back up again. He'll heal him and restore him, and he'll be back. We can't beat that. you got to go after the man, Jesus himself. And so when people start putting doubts in your mind and questioning, they're not questioning your church so much as they are who you believe in. They're going to attack Jesus in you because the whole world's not going after Lazarus. They're going after Jesus is what the Pharisees were seeing. And we have to stop the man not the one who he raised, they're going to go after Jesus in you and make you question it and think he's irrelevant. Then why would they plot to destroy his life if he wasn't relevant? And why would he be coming back and shudder and scare angels, demons, and any other faith that doesn't have Christ as its head? Why would that be effective? I tell you why. Relevance. Jesus makes it relevant. Without Him, nothing. With Him, all things. And this morning, I share with you this that Jesus, after He was anointed, if you will, with the palm branches, and they praised Him and the whole world was going after Him, the world turned on Him. Four days. Four days from king to castaway. I pray from the depths of who I am that He's never a castaway or even able to be cast from any part of your life. (coughs) Do you understand Jesus in this very chapter says, my soul is troubled. It's verse 27. And what am I going to say? Father, save me from this? But I came for this. And He says, Father, glorify Your name. And a voice from heaven says this. And hear it well. The voice of the Father, our God. I have both glorified my name and I will glorify it again. When did he glorify his name? When people called on the name of the Lord his name was glorified. When will it be glorified again? When people come to believe in his son And come to the Father through the Son, his name is glorified again. This is a word from God. Jesus dies four days later. We here today have this relevant passage that says we, you and I, have a very golden ticket. And some of us won't even cash in. I pray this morning that's not you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that life can be difficult and living life on life's terms doesn't always make sense. Things get in the way, struggles come along, sickness, death, tragedy, pain. And in all of it, it's pointing at you saying you're not relevant because you didn't do or you wouldn't do or it didn't happen the way we asked. And it's causing us to question you. It's not going after our friends, it's not going after whether we believe in our family, it's going after you. And Heavenly Father, I understand now that the reason it goes after you is because you're the only answer and the only victory and everything else wants first place. So forgive us this morning when we put other things in first place or ahead of you or said that you weren't relevant, that your message and your gospel wasn't important or it didn't change the world. We just haven't met you if we don't know that. We don't know what it's like to be under Your care, to be Your responsibility, to see You bailing us out time and time again from the jail cells of life to free us and for Your hand to feed us. <coughs> Heavenly Father, the Gideon's report this morning talked about a young boy who fed many with just a little. <coughs> and we talk about how the little boy gave, but the fact of the matter is, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, is that You took what was given to You and made it more, not less. So help us this morning to give You ours and all that we are and let You make it transformed by Your power, not by what we think or believe, but by Your power, that we would see Your glory again here in this place and that what we are would become more in Your hands. Heavenly Father, take our little, make our faith be enough, mixed with your grace, that your life manifests in us would make us relevant for you. Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing where God takes us through this relevant.